Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Lawrence Bassini to my Paul Richardson and Maxi Lopez. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. If you're wondering about that reference, what I'm saying is, Justin, we're just as bad as each other. Uh, first of all, <laughs> Justin, what time did you get to the Derby game yesterday? Uh, I got there at 20... I got there five minutes after kickoff, so maybe a bit earlier. Um, I did leave at... You count that um, as earlier? Yes, because I had to leave a little bit later because I was I was working, I was, I was grafting, I was on the graft in the morning, um, so I was a bit busier. I didn't realise the game had moved to 12.30 until um, Thursday afternoon when I covered a story on it, uh, writing, um, so that reminded me, um, and neither did any of my family, so I don't know where that came from, I don't know when that moved or changed. Um, I mean, everybody got the memo because everyone got there on time apart from me. I'm still just wondering why you think getting there five minutes past kickoff is still counted as early. I don't like sitting in traffic. I've I've said all this before, but I'll just reiterate it. I don't like sitting in traffic. Traffic um, infuriates me. I like a nice, easy stroll into the into the ground. Um, and when because everyone's in the because, football ground, it's as simple exactly, as that. Exactly, but because everyone's there. And because I'm slightly late, I'll get a bit of a hurry on. And guess what? I wasn't cold yesterday and it was freezing. So who's the real winner here? And it was a nil-nil, so what did I miss? Mm, interesting. Otherwise, Justin, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. As I say, it's it's getting a bit chillier now. The heaters have got to go on an hour before we start recording um, in, the, in, the, in the office. And um, other than that, I'm absolutely fine. Um, gearing up for the, the World Cup again. I was a bit disappointed with yesterday's games, although the Uruguay chaos on Friday was was really exciting. But if you are listening to this, ladies and gentlemen, then there's a good chance you may have already seen the England game before listening to this podcast. Alternatively, if you're one of the few people that has managed to listen to this podcast before the England game, then congratulations to you. Uh, But you'll either be commiserating or celebrating or the other way around if you're a Cardiff or Swansea fan. Um, So hopefully that's gone well. But let's talk about some championship football because it's back, Justin. Kind of. We had one game this weekend. <laughs> uh, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, your second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. So we are going to talk about Sunderland v Millwall very briefly. We're not going to spend an hour on it. Um, so we'll talk about that game because for some reason that's the only game that's happening in the championship this weekend before it's fully back next weekend. And then we'll carry on with part two of us ranking all the managers in the championship. On Thursday, we went through our 24th to 11th through that list based on how much we would want that manager at our club. In this episode, we're going to go through our top 10 managers who we would want at our club if the opportunity arose. So we'll talk about that. Also talk about some of the news from the past few days, including Birmingham's takeover collapsing. Me and Justin have got a lot to say on that one and a few other bits across the championship as well. So we'll kick things off with three second half goals, which saw Sunderland beat Millwall 3-0. A proper Jekyll and Hyde performance from Sunderland here. They were so meh in that first half that Tony Mowbray even admitted they exchanged some harsh words at halftime. But then in the second half, they were excellent, Justin. Yeah, they were They were great. They were what we come to expect when Sunderland are really on it in, in the second half. They, oh, I hate the use of the term swashbuckling, but they were free-flowing. They were... Um, putting Millwall under a hell of a lot of pressure and they've really got the best out of the flair players they've they've got that 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 three of um, Diallo, Pritchard and Clark 
it's, it's a really good three behind an Alice Sims who's going to work hard and graft and create space for um, for his teammates. And you saw that with the goals. I know Millwall's defending was a bit, um, but the, the goals were well worked, um, and and they you know you could see the attributes and the, the quality in each of the players. It was um it was a really really good second half, a, a good attacking um, display in the second half, and they kept Millwall at arm's length as well um, in that second period. So. Yes, it was it was a good um, a good display. I don't know if it's a bit harsh for Mowbray to to be too harsh on the Sunderland players. It is their first game back after three weeks, and I mean, as you saw with Millwall, that's what could happen um, if you're not quite on it. Well, I thought that Sunderland had so many players who stood out for me. The three you mentioned there in particular mm. were great, but the one man of those three who was the star man without a doubt was Ahmad Diallo, the lad on loan for Manchester United. And we've spoken about it before, how once upon a time he cost 25 million quid and maybe it's a bit unfair to keep bringing that up after all, mm-hmm. he didn't decide mm. how much he costs. But he's starting to show now why Man United spent so much money on him. He caused Millwall so many problems when he's running with the ball, defenders are just terrified of him because he's got blistering pace, but he also has the ability to produce something completely out of nothing. And he's seemingly growing in confidence, isn't he? It took a while to get going. And now, despite the World Cup break, he's a man in form. And he is apparently leading to Man U reportedly considering recalling him, which I hope doesn't happen because he's fulfilling his potential now in a Sunderland shirt, isn't he? And if Man U were to decide to recall him and send him elsewhere, that could very easily disrupt that. So let's hope that doesn't happen. And if it doesn't, then that only makes me even more excited about how good Sunderland can be in the second half of the season because an informed Diallo finally showing the mm. potential he's got. The likes of Pritchard and Clark have been excellent this season. A returning Ross Stewart from injury... There's a lot of exciting components in that Sunderland front line, isn't there? So, yeah, a lot to like about uh, Sunderland and this performance in particular. There was no roster in the squad for this game. He's back in training for this one, um, but it was a bit too soon for him. So he might be back for their game against West Brom a week on Monday. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, What did you make of Millwall in this one, Justin? It was... um... Yeah, I don't really know how to sum up their performance because if you take the three errors out of the um, out of the goals that uh, Sunderland scored, then then perhaps Millwall takes them from the game. But they were they were the second best team, um, and I think I, heard, or I read I read that um, Guy Rout was describing this game as a free hit before the game, which is um, a bit loose considering the position that Millwall were in. But that being said, it was it was a really below par performance, and I think Sunderland were just just more on it, and I think. Their technical players really shone. Um, it just felt like, a, from their perspective, Millwall's perspective, that it was a, a final preseason game where it's like, okay, right, we've got to actually get ourselves into gear here. Otherwise, we're gonna we're not we're gonna start the season quote unquote um, poorly. Um, so yeah, it was it was a poor performance that was riddled with with, with errors. I think that Charlie Cresswell one, for example, was just. Uh, I don't think you see defenders make that sort of mistake at this level very often. So I think it was literally just rust. They just need to get a couple of um, get a couple of games in, or going to that next game next weekend in much better in much better shape and mindset because that's what they say. that's what I mean. It's just shaking off the um, uh, yeah, the rust. That's not the that's not the term, is it? Shaking cobwebs. off the uh, cobwebs. That's the one. <laughs> shaking off the rust. <laughs> There's nothing. I don't think we can ever do a second tier episode where Justin Peach doesn't perform some sort of mixed metaphor where he completely <laughs> puts them both together uh, and they make absolutely no sense. Um, but yeah, the defending from Millwall is very shoddy, which you don't really expect from this Millwall side. I've got to say, I'm not too sure about the keeper, George Long. He probably should have done better with the second goal and he was made to look a bit silly for the third one. And when you've got a brilliant keeper like Bielkowski on the bench... Surely he's got to be playing instead. I'm not too sure why Long's playing in the first place. Yes, he's better with his feet, but Bielkowski is hes one of the best shot stoppers the Championship has had in the last few seasons now. And the number of points he saves over the course of a season, I think, more than makes up for what he can't do with his feet compared to other goalkeepers. So if it was up for me... I'd say George Long needs dropping without a doubt. And I think it'll be interesting to see what Rowett does in the next few games, considering you've got yourself a very, very good goalkeeper just sat on your bench when you've got another goalkeeper who 
I, I don't really, I'm not really convinced he's a championship goalkeeper, if you see what I mean. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Rowett does. There we go. Sunderland female wall wrapped up in just a few minutes, not an hour long uh, <laughs> report as we were threatening to do at some point. Um, instead, Justin, let's go on to our manager rankings. So, a quick reminder this is based on how much we would want these managers at our football club. Um, Me and Justin each made a list and then we combined them together into one glorious list. And this is now our top 10. If you want to listen to 24th to 11th, that came out on Thursday. So in 10th place, Justin, we have Michael Carrick of Middlesbrough. Now, I wasn't sure if we were getting carried away putting Carrick this high in the list, considering He's been in charge for literally five games. But there's no denying it's been an exciting start, is there? Yeah, he's, he's what he's done is he's tweaked things bit by bit. He's, he, I mean, when he before he came in, he said he didn't want to um, completely radically change everything and, and play his way. He's faced it um, in those games in the lead up to the World Cup break. Um, I've seen Chuba uh, Ak- uh, Akpom say um, as well that he's, he's the best manager that he's worked under at Middlesbrough, which is saying something because he's only been there a handful of weeks compared to that of Neil Warnock and Chris Wilder. Um, so that goes that goes to show the impact he's having on the players. But it's just the the subtle tweaks he's changed uh, or he's made in that Middlesbrough team that have really really impressed me. Isaiah Jones and Ryan Giles are still providing really good outlets in in wide areas. Riley McGree um, is playing on the left hand side, but he has a, a sort of a, a license to roam. And then Akpom in behind the the striker as a, as a, a second striker as a, as a false number ten, if you like. Um, he's, he, again, he has a bit of a, a license just to collect the ball carry it um, and be a, another creative force as well as getting into good areas to put the ball away he's shown tactical maturity um, without changing too much which I think is quite a, a massive plus for a manager who is relatively inexperienced but he's an experienced coach um, at, a, at an elite club as well in Manchester United so yeah he's he's really impressed me in the, in the handful of games he's had so far um, and yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do with this with this Borough side because it's 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 hard to see it not going well at this point. Well, where I put him on my list was more about his pedigree as a manager as opposed to how well he's done so far at Middlesbrough. It certainly helps that he's had a great start and maybe if he lost his first five games, he'd be a lot lower in the rankings. But the main thing with Carrick is his pedigree. Ever since he signalled his desire to become a coach and up until November last year, he'd been a first-team coach at Manchester United for more than three years as well as being caretaker boss for a short period of time. And he's worked with the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson, Jose Mourinho. And when you think of players who could be great managers, Carrick certainly fits the mould, doesn't he? I think it goes without saying that when you appoint someone like him, when you're in the shoes of Middlesbrough, it's a risk because he's young and has next to no experience in the top job. But these guys, they've got to start somewhere, haven't they? And... Carrick's potential as a manager is absolutely huge. It's essentially as big as it gets for a manager in his very first job. And with that being said, I think when you think about how good he could be, that's what really boosts him up in tables like this, because it could be an absolute masterstroke getting someone like Carrick in. So Mm -hmm. considering that and the start Borough have had, it's a very exciting time for Middlesbrough supporters with Michael Carrick at the helm. And maybe he should be even higher in this list just because of his potential, but it's hard to justify that considering he's got very little experience so far. But yeah, without a doubt, very exciting times at the Riverside Stadium. Let's go to ninth place, Justin, where we have John Eustace of Birmingham. Now, I'll admit, I wasn't too fussed when Birmingham appointed Eustace. He he had a spell at Kidderminster in non-league where he was praised for playing some good football, but there wasn't much to shout about in terms of results, was there? Then he had that spell at QPR, which wasn't too convincing at all, let's be honest. And now he's at Birmingham and he is doing a cracking job into pretty much every championship pundit I know had them to go down this season. I can't think of anyone really who... Had gave them much chance of staying up, for a matter of a fact. So th- this is the best Birmingham been playing in years, isn't it? Considering they've been flirting with relegation for a number of seasons now. And it's also despite the fact that this squad is a bit patchy in places for my liking. Um, but also, most importantly, the chaos of the pitch 
is not affecting them at all. You've got a stadium that's crumbling away in front of their very eyes and the club in limbo over who's going to be owning it. Yet on the pitch, things are great. Eustace deserves a lot of credit for that, for not letting the -the off-the-pitch stuff affect him results. And with that, you've got to say fair play. He's a much much better appointment than I expected. And all I can say is, fingers crossed, it continues. Yeah, I think it it takes a really good coach for them not to allow off-field um, dramas, so it may, to, to impact what's going on on the pitch. Um, and Eustace is doing that. And I think if you consider the last two managers that have been at Birmingham City, Arti Karanka and Lee Bowyer, two very experienced championship managers with varying degrees of, of success, more experienced at managerial level than Eustace, um, and the football they played was hard to watch. It was a bit stale. It got results at times, but it wasn't very good. Whereas Eustace, with a more limited squad and um, pretty much with his hands tied behind his back, what he's doing with this Birmingham City team is, is far more interesting and nice to watch than than the likes of Karanka and Boya. And I think that, that ability to do that with such a limited um, player availability, player depth, um, and, you know, variety up front, you know, Scott Hogan, Troy Deeney and Lukas Djokovic, very experienced strikers, but very limited in what they can do, especially at their ages now. Um, so what he's getting out of them as well is, is really impressive. And I think Scott Hogan's displaying his best form probably since he was at Brentford, to be honest with you. I've not seen him be this dangerous since that you know, goal glut spell we had in you know seven, six, seven years ago. So yeah, what he's doing with this Birmingham City team is, is really, really um, good. It's really functional. Um, he's, he's, he's seen what he can do and getting the best out of that um, group that he's got. And I think that's, and again, if he's, he's doing that in the midst of off-field drama, um, I think you can only praise him for what he's done. And he's been trusted by two very experienced coaches um, in Steve McLaren and, uh, and Mark Warburton to help them essentially at QPR. So I think that goes a long way as well. Yes, yeah, squad harmony also at Birmingham seems to be the best it's been in a long time as well. Obviously, we can't tell. We, we aren't on the training pitch every single day. But just judging from the outside looking in, it seems like there's more squad harmony than there than there has been in a long time. So I think that also is one of the things that when you when you judge how good a manager's done, you don't really consider that. But it's something that should be considered because it's quite a difficult thing to do considering it's not been the greatest. I'm looking at when Karenka was in charge, for example. It's, it's been a, it's been a poison chalice, hasn't it? The Birmingham City job, whereas John Eustace is has. starting to change the um, starting to change the mindset around the the job, which is, I think is a massive positive as well. Yeah, of course. In eighth place, we have Ryan Lowe of Preston, and he's a bit of a funny one, is Ryan Lowe, isn't he? Because Preston sit ninth on the table, which is above expectations. But I don't look at the job he's doing this season and think it's going great. And a lot of Preston fans don't seem too enamoured by how the season's going either. It's it's very peculiar. I don't remember this happening too often. But I do like Ryan Lowe as a manager. He did great jobs at Bury, Plymouth, getting them both promoted from League Two, playing this attractive, attacking brand of football. We haven't really yet seen that at Preston, though, since he joined. And... I do think that is mainly down to the players he's got, not necessarily suiting how he wants to play. And I am sticking to the idea that in the long term, Ryan Lowe will prove to be a good appointment at Preston and be a very good manager in his own right and probably be managing in the Premier League. Whether that's with Preston or not, I'm not too sure. Maybe we'll have to see Preston uh, dip into their pockets a bit more. But without a doubt, yeah, Ryan Lowe, quality manager, isn't he? I like him a lot. Um, I, I really do. I think the only um, things you can hold against him is possibly a, a tactical stubbornness. You know, he persists with the three, um, the three-five-two or variations of a three at the back um, quite often. And as you point out, he doesn't have the players he needs to really, um, to really excel in his role at, at Preston. Um, so I think maybe potentially trying to adapt um, formations and systems to to those. To that group of players may may help him, but that's the only thing I can hold against him. I like the style of play at Preston. I think it's one one that is very positive. And if you you know you look back at the likes of Alex Neal, Simon Grayson in recent years, very pragmatic football. Whereas Alex, uh, whereas Ryan Lowe plays an attacking brand, um, and it's not necessarily open at the back either, which is again a really nice balance. Um, he just needs. Uh, 
I don't know if it's a bit lazy saying it, but just, just better players at his disposal. We've been saying the same thing with Preston for a while, is they need a, a clinical striker. They're hard to get at this level, but if your recruitment's right, they can do it. And their recruitment seems to be right in every other department other than um, in the final third. I mean, Emil Reese was a good a good signing, but he's not um, he's not the player you need to rely on to hit 15, 20 goals. Um, so, yes, I, I really like Ryan Lowe, and I think he can be a top, top manager. It's just whether or not um, Preston can convince him to stay long enough because we, we, we heard murmurs in the, in the summer about um, him being frustrated with the transfer window and if that persists then I can see him you know, wanting to go elsewhere maybe. It says a lot about him that he was being linked with the Brighton job not too long ago mm. whether that was just reports or not I don't know but it says a lot about his pedigree as a manager and how despite things aren't going brilliantly at Preston so far he still deserves um, well he still gets a lot of you know a lot of recognition for how good a coach he is, despite mm-hmm. him not tearing up many cheese at the moment at Preston. But I don't think you're lazy in saying that he deserve, he just needs a better squad at Preston. I think that the past few managers now, maybe not Frankie McAvoy, but the past few managers now have been working with what they've got. And while there have been some, you know, top-notch players go through the doors there, the likes of Ben Pearce and Ben Davies, etc. Right now, the Preston squad is just full of good players. And that's it. Just good. There's a couple in there who I would push towards maybe being very good. But aside from that, you, it, it's he, he's just working with what he's got, anti, and that's the issue mm. that Preston have got. They need to, you know, go out there and be a bit more adventurous with who they bring in. But it just doesn't seem like it's happening, really, does it? In seventh place, Justin, who have we got? We've got Alex Neal, uh, one of the more, of Stoke City, obviously not Sunderland, I, one of the more tactically flexible managers in this list. I, I think that's the reason why I rate him so highly. Obviously, in the previous episode, we were debating whether or not him leaving the Sunderland job should, um, the way he did, should should um, bring him down. But actually, I think if you look at a footballing sense, he is an incredibly gifted manager at this level. Might not be showing it at Stoke at the moment, but at the same time, Stoke job has been a basket case for a lot of very talented managers. And we've seen talented managers go to Stoke and, and go to other jobs and improve. Um, so, yeah, I, I think for me, he's, he's going to get things right at Stoke over time. It just depends how long it will be. But even if it doesn't go right at Stoke, he will land himself in another job and it will go incredibly right. If you look at Sunderland last season, for example, they were well on course to to have another disappointing season, but he, he rallied them. He got them solid at the back and scoring goals. They were scoring a lot of late goals as well. Um, and that sort of seeped into this season and they got off to a good start um, and then, yeah, was, that, that's down to Alex Neal and his ability to organise teams and get them tactically set up and uh, and going um, he's, a, he's a talented manager and I, th- I don't think you can look past him I think even in the, the Sunderland-Stoke drama um, I still rate him incredibly highly at this level I thought loyalty meant a lot to you it does, it does but Sometimes you've got to look past loyalty. I mean, Alex Neal didn't say, I love this club, I'm not leaving this club, I'm not jumping the ship, etc. Et he didn't sell sell the world the well, he didn't sell the world and then leave a week later, did he? Um that's what some managers have done and that's that goes down in my estimations. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I always think Alex Neal's one of those managers who often gets underrated because he's done a good job at every club he's been at, which is a very thing very hard thing to do and deserves a hell of a lot of respect for doing that I don't think the fact his beginning to life at Stoke isn't going great Um, I don't think he should be blamed too much for that first and foremost he's not the first manager to struggle at Stoke (laughs) since they got relegated to the championship in fact every manager struggled in some way shape or form haven't they I also don't think this Stoke team is suited to how he wants to play it could take a while for Alex Neal to book the trend of managers performing poorly at Stoke and I'm not sure if he actually will do it just because no one else has been able to do it previously. And there's clearly some sort of curse at Stoke, which is stopping the club from progressing. But with the context of this list, I, because he's done a good job at every club he's been at, I would be very happy if he was appointed manager at my club because he gets results, doesn't he? His football mm-hmm. isn't the worst. It's not the greatest, but it's not the worst. Um, and you look. I think if you speak to most level-headed fans of clubs he's been at in the past, most will say, yeah, he was a good manager. Maybe not Sunderland, because I imagine some <laughs> of them are still a bit bitter about how that's gone. Um, but without the reason why they're so bitter is because he left them and they were mm-hmm. really happy with him in charge at the time. So 
maybe if he was a bit more fashionable, maybe if he was some sort of, you know, Spanish manager, for example, as opposed to some hardened Glaswegian. I think it's Glaswegian. I'd get my Scottish cities mixed Ooh. up. Um, <laughs> but um, may, maybe that would, um, maybe that would give him a few more points. But without a doubt, I think he's someone who gets really underrated, Justin. He ticks the same boxes as Gary Rowett does, doesn't he? But he's got a promotion on his CV with Norwich. Um, and he's yeah. got that ability to turn teams Sunderland. around. And Sunderland, of course, yeah, with the, well, a big one. Um, but he's got that ability to turn teams around very quickly, um, which I think you know, says a lot about him as a manager and his ability to identify weaknesses in the squad and improve them, apart from Stoke, which there are obvious caveats. Um, but you're quite right. He's an underrated manager, and I think he will long go underrated until... He's had a few years in the Premier League. Whether that comes or not, I don't know. But he's a he's a top top manager who, as you say, will will get more recognition. Should he have a maybe a more exotic name? He's he's got two first names that maybe works against him. Yeah, I think you've got something on there. Um, he's from Airdrie, which is just outside of Glasgow. So yeah, I wasn't too well wrong there. Uh, cheers, mate. Uh, sixth place, Carlos Corbran of West Brom. Now we knew Carlos Corbran was a great manager. A very good manager, in fact, from his time at Huddersfield. And he's got off to a great start at West Brom, anti Justin? Yeah, he has. Um, I had him a little bit lower in my list. I think I'm a, I was maybe a little bit harsh. But actually, what I can see that he's done at West Brom, he's, he's pretty much carried on what he's doing at Huddersfield. Um, the ability to, to organise teams and keep clean sheets and um, rely on moments and from set pieces, I think it's very intelligent. And I think those that, that really sound bedrock he's putting in at West Brom is going to help them build throughout the season. Um, I think there are still... From my side, maybe I'm a little bit nervous around him just because there's not a raft of experience. But if you look at his, um, if you look at his past, Huddersfield first half of the season in his first season, brilliant, fantastic. They were really good. They were outperforming expectations massively, and then it was a d- disaster in the second half of the season. He learned from that. He learned from that, and um, he turned the team around. I think when we recorded, uh, we recorded a podcast. Um, at the start of last season. And we had Corbrand down as one of those managers who might lose his job um, just because of how the previous season went. But actually, he turned it around and obviously they, they were within two poor decisions of um, potentially going into the Premier League. Um, and I think that doing that with a Huddersfield squad that was incredibly limited in terms of um, squad depth, transfer-wise, they recruited good personalities. You look at Tom Lees, I thought he was done at championship level, but Corbrand turning him into a, a solid, dependable championship defender again. Um, you've got to really put your hat off to him or tip your hat to him because he's he's, he's a clearly a, a, a good manager who gets teams organised. Maybe a Spanish Sam Allardyce with a bit more, a bit better football, um, I would say. Is that I'm harsh? not sure that comparison will take off, but we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> uh, I'm really fascinated to see how far Corbrand can go with a club who are willing to splash out a bit more cash because Huddersfield got to a playoff final last season despite spending literally nothing on transfer fees that season. He's now at a West Brom side who have one of the biggest wage budgets in the division and have reportedly set to spend quite a lot of money this coming January. So that'll be certainly interesting to see how it pans out. But Corbran had to get his West Brom career off to a good start because the atmosphere at the club had been shocking. And he's done that. He'll have to maintain it because the negative atmosphere at the club hasn't completely disappeared just yet. But more good results and it will certainly just become background noise. But as we say, Huddersfield spell last season, one of the most remarkable jobs we've seen in a championship season. Considering the pre-season expectations, considering the budget of the club compared to other championship sides. And now... He's got a he's got a club where he's got a bit more legroom in terms of the financial side of things and also the quality of players. And as long as he gets time at West Brom, then I'm very confident he'll prove to be a very, very clever appointment by the West Brom board. Uh, in fifth place, Justin, we have Mark Robbins of Coventry. Now, he's one manager who I reckon would be lower in the lists of many other championship pundits. But the job he's done at Coventry is right up there, isn't it, with one of the best jobs any manager has done at their current club, isn't it? It's unreal what he's been able to do with the limitations he's had. Um, the Coventry, uh, yeah, we, we've said it before, uh, the Coventry fans have gone through a lot and probably more so than, than other fans. And actually, when you consider what they've gone through, I mean, they've gone through administration, moving grounds, um, 
you know, not playing at their home ground. And then there's this season with the pitch fiasco and then obviously the uncertainty over whether they'll be playing home games at the CBS Arena. It's just madness that he's been able to stabilise the team on the pitch. And like I was saying about um, John Eustace, if you can ensure a team performs well despite off-field dramas, I think that uh, you know, it makes a very good coach and he's done that. And not only that, but the way they play football, Coventry got off to a disastrous start this season down to... I think it's purely down to the pitch issues. But actually what he did, despite being six or seven points adrift of safety, he restricted things. He got them defensively solid, keeping clean sheets. And I don't think they've conceded that many chances. Ben Wilson has been a very quiet goalkeeper over the course of um, over the course of November in the lead up to the World Cup break. Um, keeping clean sheets, obviously four, four straight clean sheets in the lead up to the World Cup break, along with four wins. He's turned Victor Giocarez into a 15, 20 million pound striker, which is a, on, on top of a, a 1 million pound investment, I think is bonkers. I don't think that happens very often. It just ticks a lot of boxes. Um, and I'm probably, you know, scooting around in terms of how many positives I can give around Mark Robbins, but he's a fantastic coach. He gets your team organised, playing good football on a budget. He identifies good personalities in recruitment and brings them in and improves them. Carl McFadden, for example, 34 years old, but he's career has just blossomed while playing under Mark Robbins um, I've, I can't say any, anything more than, than that he's a fantastic coach and he deserves a lot of a lot of plaudits and a lot of credit I think you've pretty much hit every nail on the head right there Justin the only thing is when you've got a manager who continuously gets your club progressing in the right direction those kind, those type of managers are worth the weight in gold aren't they and that's what Mark Robbins has done he's taken them from you know League 2 to mm. you know top half of the championship, which is just absolutely remarkable. And he's got this brilliant record of seemingly getting this club, you know, performing above expectations each season. And when you've got a manager like that, you've got to, you you can't praise it enough because there are so many managers who just don't do that. (laughs) So when Mm. you've got a, when you have got one, it's, it's pretty remarkable, really. My only question would be, would he be able to do just as well at another club? Don't know because his record at Coventry was so-so, um, but without a doubt, he and Coventry are a match made in heaven, and that's why they continue to progress up the football league ladder. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll go on to our top four and talk about some of the news from the championship over the past few days. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So we're going through all the managers in the Championship and ranking them on how much we would want them in charge of our club. And we've just gone through the bottom 20, which means we're now on to our top four. And in fourth place, Justin, who have we got? We've got Slavin Bilic of Watford. Um, and I think I was a bit harsh on him when he first got appointed. I was... Um, you think? I was... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was. I was. I was wrong about him. I happily admit it because I think what he's what he's doing now at Watford is he's slowly improving what is um, what is an unpre- underprepared squad. And what I mean by underprepared is it's not it's not got the right players in the right areas. There's not enough depth in certain areas either. Um, and actually, what he's doing is, is is I wouldn't say remarkable, but it's it's a good sound job at a club that is is incredibly poorly run um, by the by the Pozzo. So yeah, he's he's, he's He's turning things around slowly. It's just whether or not he can get enough time to do it. I think Rob Edwards was doing the same thing. But uh, again, to Billich's credit, I mean, we've seen it in performances. Sometimes they've been absolutely brilliant. Sometimes they've been absolutely terrible. Um, and he's just trying to find that balance. And it's just having that time to do it. I think we'll we'll know a lot more about him and his ability with Watford um, after this World Cup break. But I mean, if you look at that West Brom squad, for two-thirds of the season or maybe four-fifths of the season, probably it's probably fairer to say that West Brom team was brilliant. They played some really good football under him in their promotion season. Matias Pereira was fantastic. Romain Soyes was brilliant as well. Um, and there was just a lot of positives to take from that. He's got very good coaching credentials. I mean, he pretty much knocked England out of the, the, the Euros, uh, the Euro qualifying um, in 2008 as well, which is goes to show his, his ability as an international manager as well. A really top coach. And as I say, I was wrong about him. I like him a lot. I've always rated Bilic. He did a great job in charge of Croatia. 
he was at West Brom, West Ham for two and a half seasons, which considering mm. West West Ham and how quickly they go through managers, I think is pretty impressive in itself. Got West Brom promoted and it wasn't his fault at all that they got relegated. And now he's turning things around at Watford. In this country, he's got a brilliant record, which is why it always made complete sense to me to bring him in. I still feel sorry for Rob Edwards getting sacked in the first place, but... Billich is a very, very good manager and possibly should be in the conversation for more Premier League jobs, considering his experience and the fact he's done a pretty good job at every club he's been at in this country. But as I say, he's steadily got Watford looking quite good again, and I continue to think they will be a strong challenger for the top two as the season progresses because their squad is so strong, but also because Billich is a great manager. And I also really enjoy how he shrugs at the end of every game when they win, never when they lose, always just victories. Um, not much more to say on that one. Uh, let's go to third place, Justin, where we have Vincent Company of Burnley. We've given Company a hell of a lot of praise this season, and rightly so, because I don't think we can praise him enough for how well he's done at Burnley. He's had to integrate 22 new players, many of whom haven't played in this country before. Completely changed the style of play. Brexit ball from Dyche is a distant memory now. And now he's got this Burnley team playing some of the best football in the division. Probably the best, actually, in terms of how exciting and uh, attractive it is to watch. And he's also working with one of the youngest squads in the in the league. You talk about some of their best players this season. Most of them are early 20s, aren't they? The likes of Martson, Harwood, Bellis, Zorori. And he's also got that you know nice blend of uh, experience as well. The likes of Rodriguez and Barnes, which also help, obviously. Um, and they've just been the best team in the championship this season, which for a manager who is quite inexperienced, he only had his, his uh, spell at Anderlecht prior to this, which was his only past experience before, and he's never managed in this country. You know, this guy, I don't think the company could have ticked any more boxes when it comes to, you know, asking him to do a good job at Burnley. And for me, I think they could easily go off and win the league at a canter because of how, God he, how good he's got this team um, looking. Um, and that's why I just think the job he's done at Burnley is truly remarkable. It's fantastic, isn't it? Um, I think if you just if you just look at the style of play difference and how 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 much he's changed in in what was just a few weeks, um, it's, you know, it's it's not a long time at all from the end of the Premier League to the to the start of the Championship season this this year. It was it. It was literally eight or nine weeks. Um, so it's absolutely bonkers for him to be able to transform. The, the football mindset, the confidence to, and comfortable, um, yeah, the, the confidence and comfort of, of playing with the ball the way they do compared to what they did. You know, they are they're a side that were used to not having any of the ball. So for the fact that they've been able to transform and change that um, is is quite staggering. And you know, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall during pre-season, um, just in those first initial se- uh, sessions under company just to just to really understand what he was doing to change it because it's it's quite staggering how he has uh, how he's done it um i don't think we can say much more about a company uh, i think the only things that you can hold against him is he's just could he do it on a budget like other managers have done in the, in a division that we've rated could he do it um on a um or has he doesn't have the longevity of success in the championship as other managers do either so i think that's the only thing that I would mark him down on um, if I'm putting him, if I'm choosing him as a manager of my team. Um, but you can't take away what he's done at Burnley. It's absolutely brilliant. Even when you talk about the budget, though, they haven't spent like 10 million on a player, have they? I think the no, most they they've spent yeah, on a player is 3 million. Really smart um, recruitment. Yeah, really smart recruitment. Um, and without a doubt, out of all the managers in the Championship, he's done the best job this season, hasn't he? Um, and his reflection on this list is more down to the fact that we've only seen five or six months of Vincent Company mm-hmm. as a championship manager. Otherwise, if we'd seen a bit more, he'd without a doubt be top of the list, wouldn't he? Because when you talk about the job that he's done this season, it's gone above and beyond what anyone could have expected, really, isn't it? In second place, Justin, we've got Russell Martin of Swansea. <laughs> now, you've got a young manager here who plays sexy, attractive football working with the youngest squad in the league and has a record of making players better. And to top it all off, he's getting results on the board as well. They sit eighth in the league, which isn't particularly mind-blowing, 
But you've got to keep in mind, this squad has holes in it. And man for man isn't one of the strongest in the league. But Martin is still getting this team going in the right direction. And as long as he's at the helm, I'm confident Swansea can have a really, really strong shout at getting into the playoffs this season. I think I'd put them ahead of other teams. Um, the only thing that may hold them back is the fact that the squad is a bit patchy. Um, but yeah, Martin is similar to company, actually. He's had to change it from Cooper Ball from a couple of seasons ago. Mm-hmm. And now this team is playing some miraculously lovely football. Um, but also, got to give a shout out to the fact that he is... Um, developing these young players, the likes of Ollie Cooper, for example, who I don't think many people are particularly expecting to be playing in the Swansea team this season, but has been one of the star performers. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Woods was a castaway for Middlesbrough, really, and now mm. has been one of the best defenders in the division this season. There's a lot to like about what Russell Martin has done, and that's why he's one of the most highly rated coaches there is in British football. I could tell exactly what. Um, followers are going to say when they hear us talk about Russell Martin what what is he doing at Swansea City that makes you go wow 15th 16th last season not exactly brilliant Um, but actually again if you if you look at this style of play change um, he came into Swansea two weeks into pre-season last year so for them to um, again change the style of play and philosophy and mindset once again in, in such a short space of time it was a remarkable turnaround um, and he's put some really solid foundations in place and then if you go to individuals in the team um, he's improved them Joel Piro I know isn't in the best of form um, but his style of play Russell White's style of play is, is creating chances for him he's underperforming his XG massively Joel Piro is but he's getting chances and I think you've got to credit the style of play to putting him in those good areas and, and, and creating those chances for him Um He's a highly rated manager. He's linked with jobs constantly. I think if Dean Smith does end up leaving Norwich at some point, Russell Martin will certainly be a shoe in for the job, which will certainly make Swansea fans nervous. Um, uh, yeah, it, would, it would stress me out if um, if, if I knew that, would, that, that, that could be the case. And he was linked with the Brighton job as well. Um, he's a good manager with a good philosophy um, who's working in difficult circumstances. He's not able to reinvest the money they brought in in transfer fees over, over recent years and the club has been very pragmatic in their approach in the transfer market and it's frustrating to see because you can see the potential this Swansea team has under Russell Martin and, and what they could do if they just put in a few more a few more million pounds. Obviously, that's an easy way of saying it, but I like Russell Martin a lot. I would love him as a coach at my team um, and I think with a, you know, a better, not a better group of players, a deeper... Uh, a deeper squad um, I think he can go a very long way in the championship I think just his philosophy alone is enough to mm. make you want him as a manager of your club isn't it um, and this guy is one of the few managers on this list who has got such a ridiculously high ceiling as well of where he could end up as a manager also and a very important point very handsome <laughs> yeah the um, I mean we've, we've talked about attire he's got the zippy jumper that most people, I mean, it's something you you think you just buy next or something, but he's making me want to buy a zippy jumper um, because you know a zippy jumper offers a bit of flexibility. If you take, if you get too warm, you can just zip it down a little bit and you look a bit cool as well. Mm. Um, and he really, really, really does um, does play that uh, does play that very well. Um, and as I say, he's, he's become an influencer because I I want to invest in a zippy jumper. Yeah, it would definitely improve your current wardrobe. Uh, finally, Justin, we're on number one in our managers who uh, we would want at our football club who is number one it's the heck the heck of the blades Paul Heckingbottom the man with the best name in the division by far I think for me yeah by far the the best manager in the league um, completely relevant what I just said but um, yeah he's, he's, he's a top top manager tactically fantastic he's he's he, if you look at where they were under Yukanovic, they were a mess goodness they were terrible they were awful um, and Heckingbottom just stripped it back to basics and got them playing the way that team should be playing. That Sheffield United, Sheffield United team should be playing high press, aggressive, in your face, organised, um, and quite easy on the eye to watch. So yeah, uh, really, really impressive is his ability to switch it around. Um, he's a straight talker as well in the media. Uh, he, just, he doesn't mess around, um, which I think you'd expect from any Yorkshireman to be honest with you. Um, just so many positives, and the fact that he's been able to manage the squad the way he has this season with the amount of injuries they've had. They've barely trained. Um, they haven't been training, I don't think, actually. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable what he's done. And I rate him incredibly highly. I think he's had a, a tough run of jobs. The Leeds job, for example, he 
weirdly took the Hibs job as well, which didn't go very well. Did a relatively good job at uh, the Barnsley role uh, until he until he was sat there as well, or to, until he went to Leeds. Sorry, um, I like him a lot. I really do. I think he's a, a very underrated manager. I think he's a ridiculously underrated manager. Really, you think where Sheffield United were last season under Jukanovic, and they were shite quite frankly Com- completely underperforming and just not looking like they had any chance of recovering from the situation they were in but Heckingbottom came in and completely turned things around getting them into the playoffs and they were looking really really strong playing some brilliant football at the same time and becoming a really threatening side and if it wasn't for the incredible job that Steve Cooper did last season then I think more people would have recognised how brilliant a job Heckingbottom was doing but then to keep it going this season as well Hecking, uh, Sheffield United at points have looked like the best team in the division before Burnley have kind of taken that mantle uh, in recent weeks but still they've been so so strong and I think some people wouldn't have expected that with the Sheffield United side I think some people may have looked at the other teams who are in the division and um, maybe looked at them and thought yeah they're better than Sheffield United and maybe thought they've got a better manager but Heckingbottom has got this team playing some brilliant football and making themselves really, really solid at the same time. Um, scoring goals as well. I mean, any manager who manages to get Ollie McBurney back playing and in form <laughs> des- <laughs> deserves a hell of a lot of praise in their own right. Um, mm-hmm. But to do that, get Rian Brewster back in somewhat form, um, working with young players like Ellie Menendai, turning him into one of the best players in the division and keeping it ridiculously solid at the back as well. And he's doing all this despite the injury crisis that they've had at the club. Um, Mm -hmm. Pretty remarkable when you think about it. And I think he's possibly another one as well, just because he is Paul Heckingbottom and he is, you know, a, a, a lad from Yorkshire. Maybe he doesn't get as much praise as he would do if he was a foreign manager. I sound very talk sport when I say that. But mm-hmm. because it, maybe if he had a bit more uh, of a fashionable background to him, maybe he would be uh, getting more praise than he deserves. But without a doubt, the job he's done this season is ridiculous. And I think he deserves to be number one on this list. Um, because right now, Sheffield United, I don't think the fans would want anyone else in charge of their club, would they? No, absolutely not. Um, and you've pretty much nailed it. I think you, it sounded like you were going to go down the name route, but then you recognise his name is actually quite spectacular in Heckingbottom and not a, uh, not needing to have a, a Spanish sounding name like uh, Alex Neil, for example. But um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a talented manager. And I think, um, I think it helps get them over the Chris Wilder era a little bit because they've got a manager they can they can relate to he's he's, he's a local lad um, he's he's playing a, a good style of football I mean Bramwell Lane's a fortress it's an absolute fortress um, and they need high intensity football and Heckenbottom's delivering that Jukanovic wasn't Heckenbottom is um, and I think it's just it's just it's a style of play and a manager you can just get behind um, which as I say it's, it's, it's a massive massive plus he's a, he's a, he's a good guy straight talker um yeah, he's brilliant. I, yeah, he's, he's the best manager in the league for me, for my money. I, I, yeah, I'd love him at my club. Only 45 as well. Feels like he's mm. been around for donkey's years. But <laughs> considering he is only 45, still got a lot of potential as a manager, has he? Yeah. Uh, right, that has been our rankings of every single manager in the Championship based on how much we would want them at our club. Please let us know your thoughts, ladies and gentlemen, on Twitter. We're glad to get any feedback from you all on who your number one manager would be. But now it's time for us to get into this. Yes, it's time for the news and the longer way to take over of Birmingham City has collapsed. Local businessman Paul Richardson and former footballer Maxi Lopez have been in talks to buy the club for a number of months, but their company Maxco have now released a statement declaring their intention to pull out of the deal and say they've been left with no alternative and are bitterly disappointed. What a complete and utter waste of time. This has been, Justin. It's been on the cards for quite a while now that this whole thing was collapsing. You only had to look at numerous different reports which indicated this thing wasn't going to go through. Richardson, Lopez, both wealthier than you and I, but it became quite apparent that they're not wealthy enough to own a championship football club and they needed extra funding, which they just couldn't get. And now here we are, back to square one, when this whole saga didn't have to be dragged out 
for so long and I was checking back through my notes I was saying in September this takeover should be knocked on the head we're now in December and we haven't got any prog- mm. progress made in that department they miss deadline after deadline to get it done and when that happens the alarm bells should be ringing in all supporters but I got a lot of stick from Birmingham fans not all of them I actually had many agreeing with me but many have dished out a fair bit a bit of abuse to people like myself and other journalists who have reported on the whole saga and we've said it repeatedly that these guys were a waste of time and it's proved to be just that now the club is back in limbo and in a pretty bad situation because Richardson and Lopez were apparently funding the club already so what happens with that now I don't know the owners don't want to be there seemingly the stadium's falling apart and there doesn't seem to be a long line of wealthy people looking to take over the club so where do Birmingham City go next? I honestly don't know. <laughs> it's uh, a desperate, a desperate situation again, isn't it? Um, you want the very best for for any football club, um, and Birmingham City certainly, you know, they are doing that category. It's, it's it's disappointing. Red flags are very easy to spot with with potential ownerships, with people coming in. Um, I think we've been doing this podcast long enough to to recognise the red flags, and it's not it's not a gloat. It's you know you've you've only got to go to last sort of March April time of of, um, what, of this year actually with Chris Chris Kirchner in Derby County. If they make a massive amount of noise on social media and they miss deadlines etc., um, then you just start to you start to raise it starts to raise a bit of questions. Are they trying to get additional funding? Do they have additional? Do they have the funding themselves? Um, and from that point, you just you just start to get worried. And I think if 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 owners are very vocal in their approach to to wanting to buy a football club or potential owners, I should say, um, then that means that you know it, that may mean that they're trying to they're trying to get additional funding. Um, and it's just always clearly states that they don't have enough money to, to buy the club outright themselves. If they don't do that and they're relying on others, um, then are they the right person to buy your football club? Um, and I think that's, that comes down to the EFL putting in more stringent, a more stringent process, so we don't get to this point where a lot of time has been wasted um, for a football club who desperately need new ownership. Yeah, there were more red flags than the Soviet Union, weren't there? Because we just <laughs> didn't have many positive reports coming out about this deal, and as we say, just a big waste of time. And hopefully, we get some positive news coming out of the club in the coming week or so, but. Whether we do that, I'm not too sure. So since the last time we did the news here on the second tier, we've had two managerial changes. Colo Torres, the new Wigan boss, that was confirmed on Tuesday. We knew that was going to happen. Mick Beale's departure from QPR to Rangers has also been confirmed, although that feels like ages ago now. Uh, Beale has apologised to QPR fans over his departure, saying, this came out of nowhere. I had a decision to make. It's an institution and an opportunity I didn't want to turn down. I apologise to QPR fans, but I wasn't going to walk away from this. Thoughts, Justin Peach. Get rid, mate. <laughs> it's just you, you've you've made yourself look an idiot. Um, that's all I'm saying. And I've seen a lot of Rangers fans saying, "Well, why would he turn down Rangers?" That's not the point. Rangers are a massive football club. They're a difficult football club to turn down. Um, but you don't come out with this massive PR campaign um, after turning down a, a Premier League job and saying, "I'm here for the long term. Um, you've got me on this project. I couldn't leave this project, etc. I'm not going to jump ship." Um, blah 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 we all know what Bill said um, and then leave a couple of weeks later I just think it's just where's your integrity um, it's a very Simon Jordan thing to say but where is your integrity um, and if you're saying you can't you couldn't not go to Rangers you could have turned them down you could have st- stuck to your word you're only as good as your word as a football manager um, and if football managers want more loyalty they've got to show it themselves and and Michael Bill hasn't uh, Mick Bill I should say disappointing disappointing yeah, this whole thing could have been avoided if he hadn't have just done that interview and said, if he just did that interview before and said, look, wasn't the right job for me, I'm committed to QPR for the foreseeable future, then fine. Um, but to say, I can't be the first person to jump this ship, that's just clearly been a load of bollocks, hasn't it? So I can completely understand why QPR fans are so frustrated. If he had said what I said just a second ago. Maybe they wouldn't have been frustrated. There probably would have been a bit of frustration, but he's made himself look a bit... You could maybe understand it a little bit more. Exactly. Uh, TalkSport is reporting former Blackpool boss Neil Critchley and Coventry's Mark Robbins amongst the names on QPR shortlist to replace him. Have you had any new thoughts on who the next gaffer should be, Justin? Uh, not really. I really, really like Neil Critchley, and I think a lot of football clubs 
if they need a manager, I think they should be looking at Neil Critchley straight away. Mark Robbins may be tempted, given that the the the, the off-field issues still ongoing with the takeover and whatnot with with Coventry City. He may be tempted because obviously, you know, where's that where's that football club going? He may be he may want a new long-term project, which QPR may offer. Um, well, they will offer. They try to offer it to Beal, um, but yeah, uh, I think the QPR are in a really good position. A bit like Luton, they have got a really good recruitment um, set up at, at, at Loftus Road. Um, a very good squad to make a, a push to the playoffs, whether they can or not remains to be seen. But it's an attractive job. Yeah, Critchley for me every day of the week. Rate him so highly as a manager. Think he'll be a future Premier League manager without a doubt. It's just about who gets him in and which club he goes to and QPR a club going in the right direction seems like a perfect fit to me according to the independent Reading's first team players and staff received only 80% of their wages last month the under 21s didn't receive anything due to what sources within the club describe as an unforeseen and temporary delay to the club receiving its regular funding officials at the club have reassured staff that the issue will be resolved by the end of the week now Stories like this don't always necessarily mean there's more to this, Justin, but it's always concerning to hear when it's a club like Reading who have had problems, haven't they? Yeah, it's it's hard, it's a hard one to make to um, to get your head around, um, just because there are certain things that can impact funding. But I mean, if if eighty percent of the funding's managed to get in, you know, why hasn't the rest of it? And obviously, the under the under twenty three is not getting the funding. It's frustrating because they're not experienced pros with years behind them and, and years of savings, for example. So, hopefully, they they they, they aren't too in, in, impacted by it. But it just raised some concerns, and I think transparency on this situation would be good from Reading. Can they explain a little bit more what those hurdles are? Will they encounter them again? Um, it's just where the club needs to be really, really open and honest about it, um, and that's where the relationship between fans and clubs can break down um, if they don't know too much about it. It's you know, it's one that. As you say, can just be a, a can just be an issue, but from what we've seen over the last eighteen months with clubs missing payments and and, and whatnot, and going my administration in Derby's perspective, it makes you a bit worried. Hmm. Absolutely. South London news say Millwall is set to sign Shamrock Rovers attacker Idemo Imaku in January. Uh, good luck to him. Julian Dix has joined Slaven Bilic's coaching staff at Watford. The pair were teammates at West Ham and they've worked together at Bilic's last two English clubs. As a bit of fun, Justin, I've compiled together an 11 made up of managers and coaches in the Championship. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, we've got time. Why not? 5-3-2 formation, Make Taylor in goal, Liam Rosinia, Vincent Company, Colo Toro, Jonathan Woodgate, Julian Dix, uh, James Morrison, Michael Carrick, Paul Lintz in midfield, and then a front two of Craig Burley, uh, Craig Bellamy, Kenny Miller. What do you think of <laughs> Craig that? Craig Burley. Uh, uh, yeah, the Bellamy, I mean, Kenny Miller's a bit like, oh, why are you there? But it's not, it's not a bad 11, though. I like that. Yeah. Mike, Taylor, Mike Taylor's vastly underrated, by the way. Yeah, apologies if I've missed anyone there. I think I've looked at every single coach in the division and got every single one. Speaking of coaches, Middlesbrough have appointed former Villa caretaker boss Aaron Danks as a first-team coach to help out Michael Carrick. Coventry's head of recruitment, Chris Badlin, has left the club to become sporting director at Blackpool. Chief scout Stuart Bentham has also moved there. Interesting one. A second-tier podcast study has found which teams have appeared the most and fewest times live on Sky Sports this season. This includes the games which have been selected Selected but not yet been played. Uh, so Norwich and Sunderland have been selected the most times with 10 appearances each. Blackburn, Burnley, Sheffield United and Watford all have nine appearances. Coventry have had the fewest appearances. They've only been selected once all season. What does this tell us, Justin Peach? Um, Coventry are bad for viewers. I don't know. It's, it's I, don't, I don't really understand how Sky... Actually, no, I do. We've been told about this before. Um, I think Coventry have been shorthanded there. They've, they're a good team to watch, I think. Yeah, Victor Gorka is an exciting player. All right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just talking absolute waffle as usual. Yeah. Uh, and finally, the former owner of Hull City, Asim Allen, has died at the age of 83. He ran the club for 12 years and the Tigers say they're deeply saddened by the news. It's fair to say he was a controversial figure in his time there. He infamously wanted to change the name of the club to Hull City Tigers and there were numerous protests against his ownership during the time he was there. However, they had their most successful period under him, having got promoted to the Premier League twice and even reaching an FA Cup final. Also worth saying he donated millions of pounds 
funds to support healthcare facilities in and around Hull. So a divisive man, but we wish his family and friends all the best. Justin, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we ask the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts and everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Uh, which of these managers would you most like to have at your football club? Billich, Heckingbottom, Company or Martin? I mean, I, I chose Heckingbottom as my top manager. It's got to be, it's got to be him. But, I mean, Russell Martin is just cool. Um, and I like him a lot. So maybe it's, it's a toss-up between those two. I can't decide between those two. 52% of people said Company. 18% said Billich. 17% said Martin. 13% said Heckingbottom. Bottom of the list, though, unfortunately. Uh, where will England finish at the World Cup? Winners, runners-up, semis or quarters? Round of 16. <laughs> <laughs> I did feel a bit um, like we're kind of dismissing Senegal They're leaving out the la- They are team. a good team. They are definitely a good team uh, by putting the round of 16 there. So this may potentially bite us on the arse. But uh, nonetheless, 50% of people said quarters. 25% said winners, 19% said semis, 6% said runners-up. Got to say, don't think England have got anything to fear at this point. Um, and finally, do you think CrossFit is cool, yes or no? I think CrossFit's amazing. It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. 83% of people said it's not cool. What losers. do you make of that, Justin? Absolute losers. Every single one of those voters is a loser. Honestly, it's yeah. so cool. I love it. I love it. It's brilliant. I'm, it's, you know, I'm remarkably fit now as well. It's great. Am I out of touch? No, it's the kids that are wrong. Right, <laughs> now, Justin, I've made a brand new game for you, which God. doesn't have much longevity at all, so this will probably be the only time we play it. But it's called Cap or No Cap. What I'm going to do is read out the names of 10 players, and you've got to tell oh. me whether they've been capped for England or not. Uh, the kids also use the word cap when they think someone is lying, which makes the title of the game even more clever, doesn't it, Justin? I was hoping it would be, has this manager worn a cap or not? Because then like, you can have Pulis or Company. and Yeah, I think that'd, that'd be a good game. Bit of research into that one. That'd be Maybe. Good. Maybe something I'll look into in the long term. But today we're only talking about England caps. Uh, what would you say is a good score here, Peachy, out of 10? Oh, I'd be disappointed if I didn't get a 10, to be honest with you. I should know. I should be aware. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> First one is Mark Albrighton. Cap or no cap? No cap. Correct. I completely made it up. Despite winning a Premier League title, didn't make a, didn't get an England cap. Never been even called up to the England squad. Next up is Jimmy Bullard, cap or no cap? He got called up, but he never got caps. It was a Capello year. He was pissing around with David Bentley, wasn't he? <laughs> pissing around with David Bentley. Uh, yeah, you're right. He was called up three times, but never played, which is a bit unfortunate for old Jimmy, isn't it? Uh, so you got two out of two. Next up, Joey Barton, cap or no cap? You played against Spain, last 1-0. I remember that one. How the hell do you remember that? It's, I can't remember um, who... I can't remember the group stages of the World Cup. Yeah, it's like 2007, <laughs> I think. It was 2007, yeah. yeah. World Cup against Spain in 2007. Remarkable, remarkable knowledge here from Justin Peach. Next up, James Tompkins, cap or no cap? Now, the Roy Hodgson era worries me a little bit because that passed me by. Um and I can picture Tompkins in an England shirt, but he did play for the under-21s. But I'm going to say no cap. I can't see Tompkins getting ahead of anybody in the England <laughs> setup. He made 37 appearances at England youth level, even made two appearances in the Great Britain side at the 2012 Olympics, but has never been called up to the senior team. So you're absolutely correct. Four out of four for Justin Peach. Uh, Lee Bowyer, cap or no cap? Yeah, he's been capped. He's been capped, like three caps. One cap against Portugal in 2002. Correct. Uh, David Dunn, cap or no cap? He's got a cap. He's got a cap. One cap in the same game as Lee Bowyer. So yeah. absolutely correct. Six out of six. Look at this. Lewis Dunk, cap or no cap? No, he's not been capped. He's not been capped. No way. That'd be recent. One cap against the USA in 2018. Whoa, when was this? I literally just said. Oh, yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, like, oh, my God, I didn't know that sort of thing. He's a good player, Jesus. though, I like him a lot. I think he's a very good player. One that may be underrated massively, but when did that happen? Well, when did they play the USA? Said it I know like, you did, but yeah. I'm just saying it as, like, a form of expression. Oh, my God, when did that happen? 
quote marks. Gosh, Steve Sidwell, cap or no cap? Um, I think he's been capped. Surely he's been capped. That Reading spell was ridiculous in the mid-2000s. He's also at Chelsea, wasn't he? Yeah, well, that didn't go very well. He's been capped. No cap. Yeah, for some reason I thought he had an England cap, but no. Did he get called up? Surely he got called up. Jimmy Boyle mm, got called up. I don't up. think so. I would have written it, written it down if he had been called up. But yeah, quite surprising that one. Um, good player, Steve Sidwell. I always thought mm. he's quite underrated. Um, since it's gone a bit off the rails for you, Justin, six out of eight you've got. Uh, next up, Jay Rodriguez, cap or no cap? Yes, that Roy Hodgson years. He had a really good year under uh, at Southampton, didn't he, before he did his ACL just after he did the ACL, but I think he had a cap. I think he had one cap. One cap against Chile in 2013. Absolutely correct. Mm. Um, so, seven out of nine. Your final one, Kevin Nolan, cap or no cap? There was a lot of um, uproar. Oh, yeah, he's, he's continued um, absence from the England squads. I don't think he's ever been capped. I think that's quite right. He should never be capped. He wasn't that good. He was the player with the most Premier League appearances to have never played for England, um, but has since been overtaken by whom, Justin Peach? Mark Noble. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Mark <laughs> Noble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there you go. Eight out of ten, which considering you're expecting four marks at the start, pretty paltry. Uh, yes, uh, that Lewis Dunk one really threw me. Um, and I know, I just, I can't remember that happening. At all. And again, I think it was that handover period between Southgate and Allardyce, wasn't it, where it was a blur. It was it was that time when nobody cared about the England team as well, I think. Because before the 2018 World Cup, no one cared. So I'll, I'll yeah. blame that. No, completely understand where you're coming from there. Uh, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Second tier podcast wrapped up for the World Cup break. We've managed to survive it, Justin, which I'm delighted about because I thought we may just crash and burn during this period about having no championship football to talk about. But here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Final weekend where we have no championship football. We'll be back again, ready to go for the return of the championship season. Um, but yeah, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode. As always, we don't ask you guys to do this very often, but if you would like to leave us a review on whichever platform you listen to us on, that'd be great. I was having a look at our Apple podcast reviews the other day, Justin. We haven't had one in a number of months because unlike some podcasts, not naming any names, uh, we don't beg people to review us every single episode. Uh, but if you would like to leave us a review... It'd be really nice, actually. So please do it. Um, and a rating as well. That would all go down very well with us. Uh, so this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to give you a preview of the upcoming weekend in the Championship. And we look forward to seeing you then. Come on, England. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. <laughs> a professional podcaster would edit that out, but I'm not going to... <laughs> And a big thank you for listening. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.